Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Richard Finney, director of Captain Fawcett Limited, a supplier of the finest gentlemen's grooming requisites. Richard, hello. Hello, Matthew. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for coming on the program today. And now, normally, we'd get straight into the subject of leadership. But considering the ongoing COVID outbreak, we should start there. How has this affected uh, your business? Hmm. Very interesting. Well, we're based up in uh, on the East Coast. We're based in, in Norfolk. Um, and I think it was around about March the 15th, our orders ceased virtually o- overnight. And it was a cause for some quite huge concern. And and what sort of measures have you put into place? Okay, well, we, we thought the best thing to do was to actually to streamline the operation. We had, you know, two choices. Well, first of all, we just needed to get by some time to actually work out, you know, what was going to happen to the best of our, you know, you know what we thought what might happen. You know, it was very difficult to, to predict. Um, so we first of all battened down the hatches. We uh, made uh, six members of staff. We took advantage of the of the furlough uh, scheme, and that gave us a little bit of time to to think. So I employ fourteen people here, and of course, um, well, you don't know, but I mean, my operation started ten years ago in my kitchen. So I'm pretty familiar with the majority of the, the majority of the operations and how they're done. Although, of course, they've grown slightly more complicated and things now. So we just kind of minimised what was needed. But we soon saw that everything was really quite coming back. And this was partly because we sell into so many different countries, I think 48 or something at the moment. And that's, um, that's commercially as opposed to, you know, online sales. That we were able, as it's kind of like a Mexican wave, as other countries started to open up, we were able to, um, in fact, remarkably, we increased our sales through the month of May and June over the previous year. What do you think uh, the future for industries such as your own have in the post-COVID world? Well, it's very interesting you say that. As you mentioned, we're involved in, in gentlemen's grooming uh, products and requisites. And um, at any sort of kind of period of um, you know, recession, there's invariably uh, a growth in items that are comparatively you know, inexpensive that can make somebody feel a little bit, a bit better about themselves. So anything to do with, you know, makeup, I mean, lipstick's a famous thing for increasing makeup or, or you know, brushes or stuff for your, for your for your hair, because people generally like to, to appear, appear well. So I, I know, it's very difficult to predict, but I, I think we're based on what's happened in the last three months. I think we'll be okay. And in fact, that period of, um, when we could have totally mothballed. So as I said, we just took an immediate action to, to, to kind of simplify the operation. But then we realized that, that the, the work was coming back in. So then we took the people back uh, back to back to work and, and so forth. And we had plans for this year, as I already mentioned it for our 10th anniversary. Uh, we had plans uh, for this year for, for a growth, you know, lots of new products. And we decided rather than mothball, because my feeling was that if we literally sent everybody home and I just put the shutters down and I went home myself. This is a company I've built myself over 10 years and I spend nearly every day here. I couldn't afford to 
let that go or to or to, 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 to risk that. And I thought if we do mothball everything, then to get people back on, or even myself, you know, it's a bit like having an old vintage car or motorbike in your garage which hasn't started for for some years and you bring it out and you've got to dust off and the battery's flat you're going to spend ages kick-starting it or whatever you do to get the thing so i thought i couldn't afford that so we just kept going and even with our growth plan so whereas now i suppose in some companies would only be operating again possibly you know full-handed um in the last two or three weeks we have actually if anything been doing more here and are and are ready to launch our new product. So, I suppose I'm quietly optimistic, but I and I think the optimism comes from um, fear of failure because I mean it's too much of me and you know some wonderful people have come on board to help me create my or realise my dream, and I suppose we can ill afford that to to go to dust. Well, we should move on to the subject of leadership. I always like to start this part of the conversation off by asking the same simple question. What does the word leader mean to you? Hmm. Well, I think a leader to me is somebody that has to um, set an example because it's very difficult to get people to subscribe to your, you know, your idea or, or your business or whatever unless they're kind of fully in, involved in it. So I think um, I saw an interesting uh, cartoon recently about this. You know, I think a leader is, is really pulling the pulling the chariot and then hopefully people will see by your example. For instance, um, I've worked in some places where you were the boss will wander in at 10 and he may have been at the gym and you go out for a long business lunch and it's obviously pre all this you know, nonsense. Uh, go a long business lunch and then pop back in maybe half past two, three o'clock and then go off to pick up the children from school or something. So what kind of example is, is, is that to me? I, so I think you really got to lead by example. And how would you describe your day-to-day leadership style? Well, I'm pretty well hands-on. So the office actually normally opens at nine. I'm quite often here at six because it's so hectic here. There's 14 people involved in all different kinds of bits and bobs. And everybody needs a little bit of, you know, discussion how can we do this or shall we do this or whatever. So I find those first two or three hours when there's nobody here is my most uh, creative and useful time for me to get things done. Um, and that, I suppose then after that, as I said, people will come up with various questions. So I've been on meetings pretty much all day regarding all kinds of things from, from new products to being involved with a, um, a new beard club and all kinds of things. Very, very exciting. We've got three key members, the, the designer who's also a co-owner of the company who lives in London. And so we've got three key people who work remotely. So it's quite often amazing with them. We do a lot of work for, for charity as well. So at the moment, uh, we're organizing a motorcycle ride, which we've done for the last four years, which has raised something like £40,000 for Make-A-Wish. And we're about to... Yeah, do that again in, in early August. So my days are wrapped. So I, invariably, I'm the first in, and I'm pretty much always the last to leave. And where would you say you developed your leadership style from? Did you have a particular role model, or were you shaped more by circumstance? I think circumstances, because I'm not a businessman by, it became by fault. I mean, my history is I spent 25 years in the, in the British film industry. I was a boom operator of some repute, you know, worked on films such as. Chaplin, Memphis Bell, Billy Elliott, just to name uh, name a few. 
And uh, as I said, it was 25 years. And I used to make my own moustache wax for myself. We've had a wax moustache on and off again for probably even longer than that. And my wife's uh, a kind of key makeup artist. She got the Emmy for doing uh, Downton Abbey and BAFTA for some other things. Anyway, and she once said, to her, well, you know what? I think we can use your moustache wax at work, you know, for the floor bags, for the, you know, for the, for the makeup artist's floor bags. And that was really the, the beginning of it. So you're, going back to your question, is I've always worked on, on films where it's been very important that everybody's key. You know, it doesn't matter if you take one person out of that film set, it doesn't matter whether it's the honey wagon driver or the caterers or, or the key grip, or whatever, the, the film won't work. So everybody is crucially important to the whole the whole machine. And Captain Fawcett, in fact, has also gleaned, I suppose, from my movie experience, and as much as if um, if uh, an actor, for instance, I'm not talking necessarily particularly method, but if an actor believes that they are portraying, you know, whoever he or she is portraying, and that they're in character as such, whatever they do or say, even if it's not as per the lines um, scripted, unless it's a particular nuance that a director may need, to correct them, this is their creative input, but they will say what he or she would say in that given situation. So my whole plate got about 9,000 square feet. The whole thing is like a, a, a movie set. So my, I suppose the direction of the company has come very much from, you know, working with incredible directors. I've got to work with Richard Attenborough and some people, and just seeing people believing in what they're doing, and then you can carry other people with you, with your, with your vision. Now, unfortunately, our time together is drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for Captain Fawcett? Well, the next 12 months for Captain Fawcett are really of this whole new range of products. We're expanding. We were traditionally known as a, a moustache and beard company. It's important uh, to, to expand. So we're doing all kinds of shaving products and shampoos. We have some very key um, collaborations with very well-known people in different demographics. So our, our next 12 months is hugely exciting. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, you know, grab the roller coaster as it were. But you know, we're we're all set, and um, you know, I think it's it's make or break. But I'm quite sure, you know, we will live to fight another day, and you know, we're we're moving on to greater success. Well, Richard, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on the program today. It's been a pleasure having you here, uh, and My of pleasure. course, we we'll have to have you back when things get back to normal. But for now, Richard, thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Great to speak to you. That was Richard Finney, director of Captain Fawcett Limited. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex, first team, when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, at one or two injuries. 
Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He, um, he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. And what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Moore. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, uh, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, 
Uh, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you. And you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before I was I was playing. And I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But uh, in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay, he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So mm-hmm. I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. 
And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out, mm. out. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It's too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three years ago, and the most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want you've got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or 400 people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. 
what a question. What a question. Uh, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. I, just, but then I again, found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you were a young man when see, this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And, and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with... Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven years that. Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well 
he's the best example of management I think we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today yes I think so I think yes no, mm. no question at all I think they uh, Ron Greenwood yeah the answer is straightforward the answer is yes um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many... Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I've been going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team, the word is the word is team. Absolutely, and I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. If you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday, 
but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not uh, there's, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's you completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements. And it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.